0: Welcome back to Exodus. We took a break from our survey through Exodus before Thanksgiving. Uh, In Exodus, we we stopped at a natural break while shifting focus to Christmas and the new year. It is now 2024, and November 2023 seems like a year ago, doesn't it? This morning, we're going to do a review uh, concerning Exodus, Uh, Before we cover new ground Uh, and the way we're going to attack this review is is Threefold and you can see that in your bulletin notes Uh, We're going to highlight the location of the Israelites Uh, Where were they when the events recorded in the book of Exodus took place? Uh, We're going to track who God has revealed himself to be which is a study of theology proper if you like fancy terms, there you go. The study of God and the in the Trinity, God the Father, is called theology proper. Now, if you ever wander into a theological book and you and you see that, you know what it's all about. Uh, but that's just basically saying who who is God? Who has God revealed Himself to be? We're also going to look at the who the Israelites have illustrated themselves to be, uh, which in theology is called anthropology. Who is mankind? Uh I know the scripture reading this morning is not your typical scripture reading. Uh, it, it, uh, it doesn't inspire and, 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 you know, make you see a sunset and put your hands in the air and worship God. But the reason I chose that this morning is that really is the key verse to the whole book of Exodus. Uh, when Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? I don't know who he is. Why would I do what he wanted? And that's really an excellent point, isn't it? If, if you don't know the Lord, do you care to do what he wants you to? Absolutely not. And God's answer is, good point, Pharaoh. You're going to get to know me. <laughs> and that's what Exodus is. It's, it's, Exodus is not so much about the Israelites leaving Egypt to, to head toward Canaan. Exodus really is about the knowledge of God. So if you're late to our study of Exodus, or you missed a few weeks along the way, uh, you'll be prepared for the important section in Exodus that we'll be studying for the next few weeks by doing this this review. So in the bulletin notes section, there will be jumping back and forth for all three sections. Uh, Normally I have a fill in the blank approach for the bulletin notes, if you're the type that likes to take notes. Uh, Today the notes are mostly left blank uh, and that is for you to fill in with what you deem important, uh, or questions that come up as we as we move along. Uh, so I I thought about putting up different answers into those, and then I thought, no, I, it's not. I don't want people just writing down what my answer is. Uh, as we as we study through it, I want you to write down what what do you learn about the Lord, and what do you what do you see illustrates uh, what do you see Israel illustrates themselves as as we as we go through. But there is a timeline of events. In the beginning of the book, the Israelites are enslaved in Egypt. That is a drastic change from their standing at the end of Genesis, the book preceding it. At the end of Genesis, uh, the Pharaoh, the ruler, welcomes Jacob, uh, who is renamed Israel by God. That's why we say that the children of Israel that's literally the children of Israel. God renamed Jacob to be, to be named Israel. Uh, but Israel and his family, uh, he, they're welcomed into Egypt because the Lord used Jacob's son Joseph to save all of Egypt from a dreadful famine. Not only does Jacob save thousands of lives, but he enriches Pharaoh uh, during the famine. That's hard to do, to have a, uh, to have a, a national... Uh, crisis where where nothing nothing grows the economy is tanking and yet through the wisdom of God Joseph is able to consolidate power for Pharaoh and Pharaoh actually increases his wealth as a result of, of uh, Joseph's wisdom. So that is why he's welcoming of Joseph's dad and brothers uh, and they are, are welcomed and he said you can pick anywhere you guys want to live uh, and they chose a place and and everybody in Egypt loved Having Israel and Israel's sons with them. It changes quickly when we get into Exodus. Generations later, a new Pharaoh doesn't see the Israelites as a blessing. Instead, he sees them as a threat. How does the nation go from being perceived as a blessing to being perceived as a threat? In a word, they were forgotten. We're going to be, as I said, going through a lot of Exodus this morning just to get our minds back on what has happened, to prepare ourselves for what we'll be doing uh, for the next month. So uh, Exodus 1, 8 through 10, we're we're pretty much just going to stick in Exodus. There's a few places where we'll jump out and come back in quickly. But in Exodus 1, 8 through 10, it says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, The people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. They were oppressed now in Egypt. Pharaoh dealt shrewdly, all right. He enslaved them, believing that the excruciating work would tire them out so much they wouldn't have the time or energy to make babies. That was his plan. Even though the Israelites were oppressed, God blessed them and the nation continued to grow. Look at verse 12. It says, But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. Oppressed, enslaved, and at the same time, blessed. As God blessed, the Egyptians increased their cursing upon Israel. In verses 13 and 14, it says, So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, and made their lives bitter with hard service, in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Back in the book of Genesis, we studied a covenant that God made with Abraham. In that covenant, God promised three things, the land, the seed, and the blessing. God said that he would bless the nations that blessed Israel, and he would curse the nations that cursed Israel. Through Israel, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Pharaoh and Egypt decided to curse Israel, and God would keep his promise. Pharaoh had become so wicked in his pursuit of cursing Israel that he demanded the Hebrew midwives secretly kill the baby boys while they were being born. That's pretty wicked, wouldn't you agree? But the midwives didn't do as Pharaoh commanded. Why? Because they feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. In Exodus 1.17, it says, But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. Because they feared God more than man, God blessed them with families of their own. In verse 21, it says, And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. If you haven't written anything in the section about the nature of God, here's one that you can write down. God blesses those who... Who fear him most. Sometimes we hear hear the word theology and we expect it to be some high intellectual or academic pursuit that mere mortals should leave to the professionals. Perhaps when you read the title of the sermon, A Theological Review of Exodus, you thought for a moment that monks would silently walk in with incense and then would start chanting. Because theology. Understand this important truth. Everyone is a theologian. Everyone is a theologian. The question is, are you a good one or a bad one? But everyone is a theologian. Theology is simply the study of God, and nothing could be more important or more necessary in our day-to-day lives than knowing God. Theology is the most practical endeavor you could ever involve yourself in. When you look in Scripture and discover what Scripture says about God, that is theology. That is the work of a theologian. I think knowing that God blesses those who fear Him most is incredibly important to know. Wouldn't you agree? In this section of Israeli oppression, we are introduced to Moses. God is the main character in this book, right? He is the main character. Uh, moses is the second main character far below the importance of god god prepares moses for the task of being the mouthpiece of god where god demands to pharaoh that pharaoh release god's people so that they can worship and serve god the way god commands in chapter 2 we see how god prepared moses for that important task at the end of chapter 2 we find moses in the land of midian working as a shepherd for his father-in-law moses is in midian but the nation of Israel is still enslaved in Egypt. At the end of chapter two, there's a summary statement that I find very interesting, verses 23 through 25. It says, during those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham with isaac and with jacob god saw the people of israel god knew the pharaoh that sought the death of the israelite boys dies there is a connecting word between two pieces of information in this section pharaoh dies the people of israel groan because of their slavery what i find interesting about this summary is that it seems like the death of pharaoh was a cause of motivation for the people to cry out to God for help because of that connecting word, and. Those two things occurred. The king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned. Uh, Certainly, they had to be crying out for help before Pharaoh died, right? You would think so, and yet we have that statement, these two things are connected. But it seems, so it seems like Pharaoh's death spurred on a greater cry to God for help why is that the case and here's the more important question for me do i react in similar ways where i don't go to god earlier than what i actually end up doing do you ever have those moments where you're you're going through something difficult and you've been dealing with it for a while and then this thought comes you haven't prayed about it and you say well why haven't i prayed about this immediately why it wasn't my first itch to pray about this well, for whatever reason, when when the Pharaoh who sought their death died, that was the itch that finally caused them to, to, as a nation, at a greater degree, cry out to the Lord for help. Do I wait to cry out to God instead of going to him immediately? Either way, God hears their cry, God remembers his promise to Abraham, God sees his people, God knows. Our God is a God that knows so we have the oppression in egypt and here is a a map that gives kind of their their uh, their escaping from egypt uh, and then their time at sinai uh, and i don't want to i don't want to ruin the end for you but they uh, they head up to a place called kadesh barnea where they revolt against god uh, and they say uh, we'd like to go back to egypt as slaves please uh, and um, And then God says um, you old people that 's what god says it 's a rough paraphrase you old people aren 't heading into this land we 're going to wait forty years, and some of you are going to die off naturally. some of you are going to die off not so naturally, but we 're going to wander for forty years and uh, until the young people uh, rise up and then we 'll enter the promised land uh, you know, now that i 'm now that i 'm a uh, of a certain age i find that disturbing uh that used to not bother me so much uh but but now it kind of does uh, so anyway this is this is a map and uh and they are at this point in egypt and they are doing what they are waiting for deliverance the cry went up and god heard the israelites cry for deliverance and began moving to bring about that deliverance but the israelites wouldn't have known that they didn't know god was working They didn't know. God heard their cry, but they didn't know God heard their cry. And God has started to to, uh, um, put the plan into place, but they don't know that God has started to put the plan into place. They probably felt like they were being ignored, like they were forgotten, but they weren't. God had started to move to bring about deliverance. God knows all, but people don't. We are limited. Moses was too aware of his limitations, uh, but failed to recognize the authority and ability of God. God introduced himself to Moses with with the use of a burning bush that was not being consumed by the fire. When Moses approached to check out what was happening, the Lord spoke to Moses and told Moses of the Lord's plan to deliver the Israelites from their captivity. Here's something that's true about God. In Psalm 146, 7, it says, who executes justice for the oppressed? Who gives food to the hungry? The Lord sets the prisoners free. This story in Exodus, this account in Exodus, uh, illustrates this important truth that the Lord is the one who sets prisoners free. When Moses heard that God's plan involved him to lead the uh, to lead his people, for whom Moses was zealous to see relieved, uh, to, see, uh, to see freed. Uh, Moses' response was, the great man of Moses, the, the, the hero of the Old Testament, when God said, I want you to do this, Moses said, no, thank you. Right? Remember his five excuses? His five excuses. God, I, that's, a great, that's a great idea, God. Uh, could you leave me out of it? Uh, but God did not. So in answering Moses' five objections to being God's mouthpiece and leading the people from captivity, God answers by revealing to Moses truths about God. Exodus 3, 6, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Who is God in this, in this revelation? God, well, he is the present God of ancient past. He is the present God of ancient past. Notice, he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is pointed out in the New Testament. Jesus talks about this with the idea of, of people saying, the, the Sadducees in particular said, "Oh, there's no resurrection of the dead. That's a fairy tale." And Jesus comes back to this passage and he says, "What does it say? "I am the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. They're all dead, and yet the present God of ancient past. Exodus 3:8 says, "I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians." and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. What do we learn about this? We learn that God is the one that comes down. God is the one who comes down. He said to Moses, I have come down to deliver them. Exodus 3:13 through 15, Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and, they, and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, well, what's his name? Certainly, if you got sent, you should know the name, right? You should know the name. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. God is the I am, which means he is the ever-present one. God is also the one who can deliver and Bless. Deliver and bless. It wasn't just that God was going to to come and deliver the Israelites from their enslavement. Wouldn't that have been enough? Wouldn't that have been, hey, we're free, that's great. God said, no, I'm going to deliver you, but I'm going to deliver you and give you the land of Cain and the land of promise. Believer, we've experienced the same thing. Wouldn't it have just been enough if God had freed us? From the enslavement of sin. But God says, I'm freeing you from that, and I'm declaring that you're righteous. It's not just that we're not guilty, and practically, what are we? We're guilty. God says, I'm not just going to declare you not guilty. That would have been enough. God said, No, I'm going to declare you above and beyond that. I'm going to declare you to be righteous. And God, the righteous judge, does just that. When you have trusted Christ as your Savior, when you put your faith in him for eternal life and what he's done to save us from our sins. God says, well, you can't earn your way to heaven. You can't be good enough. There's not enough good things you could do because you've already not met the standard of perfection. But God as judge says, not only are you, am I going to declare you not guilty because Jesus paid for your sins, paid in full, but I'm going to declare you righteous. I'm going to give you the righteousness of my son, Jesus Christ. What a trade. He takes our sins and gives us his righteousness as seen by the Father. Wow. God isn't just going to save us from our sins, believer, but what is he going to do? He's going to call us to him and spend eternity with him. Isn't that amazing? Wouldn't it have been enough just to have been forgiven our sins? But he's going to have us be with him for all eternity? That's amazing. And God demonstrates that with the Israelites. He's not just going to deliver them from the uh, Egyptian oppression, but he's going to bring them to a land flowing with milk and honey. Once Moses reluctantly agrees to obey God's commands, to lead the people out of Egypt into the land of promise, the Israelites are told that God heard their cries of distress and would lead them to blessing. The nation rejoiced at first, But when adversity came, they quickly turned their back on God and all that God was offering them. In Exodus 4.31, we we see the praise. It says, And the people believed when they first heard that they would be delivered, that God heard their cry. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. The exact right thing to do. But we quickly go from rejoicing to complaining. In the very next chapter, in Exodus 5, they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. You see, Pharaoh, when that verse that we read earlier, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice, uh, he, he was annoyed that he was approached with this. And so he said to the taskmasters, we're not going to provide material for them to make the bricks anymore. But the, the quota stays the same but now they got extra work to do. Apparently they got too much time on their hands to go whining to this Moses and Aaron, so let's increase their workload. And, uh, and they were harsh with them. Uh, and, they, and when the people sent the, the, their leaders up there to Pharaoh to say, hey, what's going on? Pharaoh had them beaten. Uh, and who do they blame? Not Pharaoh. Who do they blame? They blame Moses and Aaron. So they met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Why didn't Pharaoh let the people go serve God? Because Pharaoh lacked the knowledge of God and he would not let the people go. But God used Pharaoh's lack of knowledge to increase the knowledge of the whole world. In Exodus 5, 1 through 2, It says, afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. The ten plagues that followed Pharaoh's refusal to acknowledge the God that created all things gave knowledge of God to everyone who experienced the plagues. Who saw the plagues unleashed on the Egyptians, who escaped the plagues, or who heard about the plagues afterward. God was making himself known. God expressed specific knowledge that would be gained by the plagues God brought down on the Egyptians. In Exodus 6, verses 6 through 7. Say therefore, this is what the Lord says to Moses, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. In this passage, God gives a list of what he will do and a statement of what the people would know as a result. It says, I am the Lord your God. The people will know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. No doubt. The Israelites had absolutely no doubt who it was that led them out from the burden of the Egyptians. Hold on to that thought, because we're going to get to it in a few weeks. They had absolutely no reason to believe it was anybody other than the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who freed them from oppression. No reason to think anything else. In Exodus 7, 5, God says what he is doing in in giving knowledge and, and through the plagues. He says, The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. I had this interesting thought as I was going through it this week. The Egyptians should have been thankful for the plagues. Isn't that odd? The Egyptians should have been thankful for the plagues against them. Why? Because God said, through that, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. They should have recognized that the gods they worshipped were not worthy of their worship, and the God they ignored was the one true God that redeems people. God made that known through the plagues. There is only one God that is worthy of worship. False gods aren't worthy. Idols which are made from human hands aren't worthy. Only the true God is worthy. And the true God revealed himself to the Egyptians. Moving on in Exodus 8:22, it says, But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there. Why? That you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Jehovah, the I Am, is not just the God of heaven, but of heaven and earth. He isn't just a God that is far away. He is a God that is close by. Well, after the ten plagues, they are delivered. The final plague is is delivered where God kills the firstborn male in every home. God does make a way of escape. If a household sacrificed a Passover lamb and and paint the blood of the lamb on the doorframe of their home, the angel of death, which is the Lord, would pass over that home and not take the life of the firstborn male. The lamb would be an acceptable substitute. Jesus served as our Passover lamb. He is the acceptable substitute for us in taking our sins upon himself and dying in our place. Pharaoh didn't just allow the people to go, he highly encouraged the people to go. The Egyptians gave the Israelites anything they wanted, gold and silver, clothes, whatever the Israelites asked for, as long as they were heading toward the border, the Egyptians gave them. On their way out of Egypt, God took an indirect route. He didn't go the fastest way possible. Exodus 13, 17 says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. <coughs> for God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. What does that mean? That means that God knows our limitations. In 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, it says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God knows our limitations. When we sin, we have no excuse. God will not allow the temptation to go beyond our ability to endure. So when we sin, whose fault is it? It's our fault. We can't say this was too much, God, because God will not tempt us or allow us to be tempted beyond the ability to handle it, but will make a way of escape. Uh, That verse kind of bummed me out once I started really understanding it. There goes my excuses. But in fact, I think I'll trade those excuses for a God who understands our limitation. The Egyptians chased Israel after Israel's departure. Egypt recognized (coughs) their need for slave labor when they looked at their ruined nation after the plagues. In college, I was boating with some friends on a, on a pontoon boat. Having a good time. One of the guys, as the boat was still moving along pretty good, we had determined that we were going to stop the boat and then jump out and swim around. But the boat was still moving at a pretty good clip, and one of the guys takes the anchor that was tied to the boat. It was secured to the boat, and he kind of tosses it out. Uh, and uh, my friend, who was always quick to make a joke, he looked at the, the guy who tossed the anchor and said with extreme urgency, we're going to need that. And he dove into the water while the boat was still moving at a high speed because uh, you know, he, he had to make the joke. And uh, I think about that with Pharaoh and the Egyptian rulers that they had the same reaction when the Israelites left. When the Israelites left, they, they, hey. they looked around, saw how ruined their nation was and said, we're going to need that slave labor. And they quickly went after them. As the Egyptian army was closing in, the Israelites, who were not soldiers, began to panic. Look at Exodus 14, verses 10 through 12. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, it is because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. They answered with great amount of sarcasm. Uh, and as someone who, who delves into sarcasm, I have an appreciation for that, but uh, it's never a good idea to be sarcastic with God. Never a good idea. What else did they do? They revised history. Remember when we told you that we didn't want to go? Didn't they cry out to the Lord for, absolutely, but they they misremembered what they actually said uh, and, um, you know, some people are great at revisionist history, aren't they? Uh, We see that all the time taught today, uh, history that never actually happened. Uh, And they said it would have been better for us to be slaves than to die here. Moses addressed their concern and told them what to do in verses 13 through 14 of, of chapter 14. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. That's great advice, isn't it? Don't be afraid, stand firm and see the Lord's salvation. It says for the Egyptians for the Egyptians whom you see today you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. God did see them through. He did fight for them, he did deliver them, he did have victory over the Egyptians. And then we get to traveling to their blessing. Once the Israelites left Egypt, once they crossed the Red Sea, their journey began. Now, I am a destination guy. I don't want a vacation where I spend a lot of time traveling. I want to get where I'm going, and then I want to be there. The problem with road trips is that you spend so much time on the road. The longer I travel the better the vacation better be. The destination better be worth the travel. Mississippi doesn't have to be great because I can be there in a few minutes. There are some people that love the trip more than the destination. The Israelites are heading to the promised land, but the journey is going to be difficult for them. In a lot of ways, they make it difficult for themselves. A time comes where the Israelites don't have adequate food. They grumble against Moses and against the Lord. The Lord sends the Israelites manna, which means, what is it? God gives instruction to the Israelites about gathering the manna. They were to only take enough for each day. No leftovers. They were going to have to trust God every day for their bread. The day before Sabbath, they were to gather enough for two days so that they could rest on the Sabbath. Rest means trust. I can rest because I trust God. God tested Israel so the Israelites could learn to trust God more. So they could learn that they were not trusting God enough. Those two things. They were gonna, God tested them so they could learn to trust Him more and so that they would recognize that they don't trust Him enough. They were also being told by God what a life of obedience would be like for them. In Exodus fifteen twenty six, it says if you will diligent, diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians for I am the Lord your healer. Obedience brings blessings. That doesn't mean that life is always easy and that nothing bad will ever happen ever. It doesn't mean that. But God does bless those who are obedient. Blessings don't come to the disobedient. That is not to say that life never works out for the disobedient, because in the short term, disobedience seems to work. But the long-term effects are devastating. Pharaoh demonstrated that truth. Wouldn't you say that before all this started, Pharaoh had a blessed life? Rich beyond belief, power beyond belief, prestige. I mean, people actually worshiped him. How did it go for him long term? A Christian martyr is never disappointed. God tests for our benefit. In Exodus 16:4, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they walk in my law or not. In this process, and we said the purpose of testing was to teach them to obey more and to show them their need to obey more. Uh, The people put the Lord to the test instead. They asked this question, Is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? I felt that way many times in life. Is God with me or not? A few decades ago, I I read a book uh, that was um, uh, for youth ministry, uh, and the title of the book was, was, God, if you love me, why can't I open my locker? You ever feel that way? Now kids don't have lockers. They just carry 45 pounds of books on their back. They don't even have books anymore. They, uh, that's, that's a thing. We're relics, books. Uh, but they carry everything in their backpack, and it is heavy. Uh, but back in the day, kids, you used to go to your locker quite a bit. Uh, and, uh, and there was nothing scarier than the first time you went to school for a locker and you had no idea how they worked. Uh, when I substitute taught at a middle school, the first day, I probably opened 150 lockers. Right? There's that fear. Well, we have our, our own concerns. Lord, are you there? Are you there? Are you among us or not? The people were without water, but that had happened before, and the Lord provided. When they were out of water again... They did not take the attitude that God had provided before he can provide again. Instead, they took the attitude that this time we are all going to die. Completely ignored what the Lord had done for them before. This time we're going to all die. Uh, Instead of trusting the Lord, they developed a habit of not trusting the Lord. They whined instead of trusting God. The habit of not trusting the Lord is a bad habit to get into. It's a bad habit. In sports, we we use a term called muscle memory. And muscle memory is that you do the same movement so many times that you don't have to think about it anymore. Your body just reacts the way it's supposed to react. And here's the issue with that. When you develop a, a hitch in your swing, it takes way more practice and effort to correct the bad habit than it is uh, than it is to establish the good one. It, it takes forever to get over that bad habit. It's a horrible habit to not trust the Lord when bad things happen. To take the attitude of this time I'm in for it is the Lord with me or not? It appears not. That's a bad habit that you need to break. But part of it, look at Exodus seventeen seven. Uh, this is where. Uh, where they tested the Lord uh, when they didn't have water. It says, and he called the name of the place Massa or Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? You see, when they whined, what happened? They got water, right? When they whined, they got water. Uh, This is a bit of a a parenting uh, wisdom that, that has come through trial and error you can't reward whining with the thing they want because they now know how does this work i whine i get what i want because it worked last time it's what they immediately went to again it wasn't that they trusted god more it was hey we whined and complained and behaved poorly and we got water we whined uh behaved poorly and we got food what should we do this time Trust God? No, I think we should whine and behave poorly. And that's what they did. I believe the Lord takes this approach to demonstrate their need to learn lessons the hard way. As we go through the, the rest of this account of them going to the promised land, there are some tough things that the Lord puts upon Israel. And if you, you might ask, well, why would God, if this is God's people whom he loves, why are all of these bad things happening to them? And, and this, I think the reason that this took place is so that you could go back and say, oh yeah, okay, they were determined to learn things the hard way. Anybody here have have a particular child that you can think of, don't name the child, where you think to yourself, yeah, that one was born to learn things the hard way. Yeah, well, that was Israel. Uh, You give them the opportunity to make good choices, knowing they will not. God knew who he was dealing with. The Israelites didn't recognize their own failures, their own shortcomings. What we're going to do for the rest of our time studying Exodus is we're going to see how a righteous, holy God deals with people, chastises people, and blesses people that are not righteous and holy. We want to understand how God deals with us, who do not measure up to God's standard, but who God made salvation possible through the death of Jesus Christ. This book is not just about Israel, although it certainly is about Israel. This is about our relationship with Jesus Christ. And we will see that as we continue our journey through the book of Exodus. So come back next week as we continue on now that we're all caught up and remembering who God is, who we are, and that's why we need a Savior. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that demonstrates who we are as people, as we see ourselves in the nation of Israel in this account. And Father, who you are, and that you have not changed. You are the, the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, the same forever. In your perfections, in your holiness, in your righteousness. Uh, Father, help us not to just recognize this as a, as a fun story or uh, this is the actual truth of what happened. And your word tells us perfectly what happened and tells us who you are. Uh, Father, help us to understand the lessons you want us to understand so that we can worship you better, serve you better, uh, and, uh, and, and love you more. Uh, as we see how patient you are, and yet at the same time how how righteous and holy you are. Uh, Thank you that your word tells the truth. In Jesus' name, amen.